Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, welcome to another Countryside on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. And again, Kiri, we've had a, a prominent figure in the agricultural world being invited to do a bit of a speech and give their opinions about what they've seen around different parts of the UK and Europe in conjunction with uh, DEFA and the Alemann Young Farmers Federation. Yes, we were very lucky to have Alan Jago, the European President of the Council of Young Farmers, visit our island. He visited some farms and then he had a lovely speech at the Noah Bakehouse to the younger active young farmers and um, some question and answer sessions that proved to be very, very good. And it's such an important part of farming, isn't it? Because we're on the Isle of Man, we can read things, it's a bit more easy with social media and how quick news travels now, but to, to get farmers who have seen it, tried it, had that experience and knowing what might work, might not work, and not to tell you exactly what to do, but maybe just help you in the right direction is so vital here, isn't it? It really is, and he's been all around Europe and the guidance in the right direction is all we need sometimes and especially when we're we're off on our own and on the little island it's good to have these people come in and and just cast a bit of positivity which is needed at the minute in agriculture yes it is and positivity is something that the forestry division of DEFA are putting forward as well with a new initiative called see it snap it and send it which I thought was if you see a twig that's uh, got Dutch elm disease (laughs) you snap it off and send it into them but this certainly isn't the case as uh, uh, Andrew Igear uh, from the Forestry Side of DEFA tells me. And also I spoke to Jimmy Lee, who is the Dutch Elm Disease Coordinator on the Isle of Man, who tells me about this initiative. And, of course, we talk about uh, the new elm trees that they planted, which are supposedly uh, Dutch elm-free uh, they, they're free from the viruses or protected from it in some way. So we'll hear that uh, in detail during this week's programme. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. But first, Kiri, have you heard the slogan, See it, snap it, send it? I have. I've just seen it in an email recently. Uh, Very we important. Go. Well, it is. It's related to Dutch elm disease on the island. And I caught up with Andrew Igear, who's the Arboricultural Officer for the Forestry, Amenity and Lands Directive of DEFA, to talk about some new disease-free elm trees that are planted on the island. But first of all, I wanted to get the latest news on how Dutch elm disease is affecting the island. And this, I spoke to Jimmy Lee. You have the forest trees, which are basically the plantations that have been all planted up in the in the 40s 50s and the likes of that and they're full of larch spruce and pine but for our hardwood population the elm makes up a quarter of the hardwood species that we have your three main species of hardwoods are ash elm and sycamore and the other quarter is made up for your oaks beeches and everything else like that the dutch elm disease it's caused a lot of problems around the world have we been lucky in the past? We've been lucky in the past as because the main um, disease or the aggressive strain of Dutch elm disease didn't get into the island until 1992. And since then, we've felled less than 2,000 diseased trees. So we're trying to run a control programme still. So we actually keep the elms and we have that variety of hardwood species throughout the island all the time. Can I ask who was responsible for getting it here? <laughs> um, <laughs> or what? Possibly, we think it's come in on either firewood or, or pallet wood. And it's basically what's happened is there's a piece of timber come in with uh, a diseased piece of timber 
and the elm bark beetle, which are native to the island, fed on this timber, and basically the disease has spread from that point. The disease itself, then, um, you said it originates, is it a fungus thing, is it? It's a microscopic fungus that um, affects the actual reproductive part. To put it simply, it stops the actual tree from bringing the water system, water, up to the, up to the uh, leaf and it uh, affects that. It looks, that's why it looks like the tree is starting to suffer from drought, but only in parts of it, whereas if it was drought, it would cover the whole tree. To start with, it only comes in in one part of the tree. But the fungus is the main thing, and it's a bit of a misnomer calling it Dutch elm disease, even though we do have the Dutch elm species on the island and the witch elm species, which are the two main species of elm. Dutch elm is because it was um, the most of the initial research in the early 1900s, was done by Dutch women scientists. All right, so that's how he got the name that's from, how got from the, the Dutch yes. elm. I yeah. see what I mean. What sort of percentage do we have on the island of, of problems with it? Because it, is it, the beetles, you said, do they go from tree to tree? Or? Well, the beetle themselves, uh, we have the two species of beetle on the island. And they are the Scolitis multistriatus and Scolitis lavis, or the smaller elm bark beetle and the medium-sized elm bark. Ah, oh, that's easier. <laughs> <laughs> But they're native to the island. We found both of those beetles on the island. The beetle themselves won't emerge from the bark until it's 18 degrees. They'll then fly and bump into other species, but not feed on them species. Whereas we get temperatures of 20 degrees, this beetle will then fly literally from elm tree to elm tree, ignoring all other species, and feed that way. So it's not a problem having the beetle in an area. It's having the problem is, is when the fungi is in the area, or the fungus, and the disease is there, the beetle is attracted to, to trees that are under stress. And what will happen is the beetle will come along, it will feed on a diseased tree, it will then fly onto another distressed tree, feed on that, and basically spread the disease in that way. They then lay their eggs, and then every beetle that's coming, or every beetle that emerges from them eggs, is then carrying the disease as well. So it, it can grow exponentially like that. You say about the native beetles, I mean, you're saying that the, the beetles didn't come over on these pallets? Or? No, the, the beetles themselves didn't come over on the pallets. I think the, originate, the, the actual beetles themselves originated ye- donkeys years ago, you say, yeah, and basically somewhere in Siberia. That's why the cold doesn't affect them so much. The beetles we have on the island, they've been here for, for years, and it's, no matter where you go, you'll find the beetle there. They're only very tiny, so it's not worth trying to try and spot them too much because the smaller elm bark beetle is less than five mil. Mm-hmm. You're looking at three to five mil for a smaller elm bark beetle and four to approximately six mil for the um, the medium-sized one. What sort of trees percentage on the island is affected and has it changed much since, since the start of it in 92? In 92, we only had one spotter. In fact, we did have no spotters at all in 92. Um, we had uh, people over doing a survey on the elm trees and they actually found that we had the disease, the aggressive strain Dutch elm disease. And basically from that point on, we've been running a control programme. We started out with one tree spot throughout the season, got as far a maximum of five. Now we use two and we're looking at doing um, into other sort of technologies now as well, especially with our See It, Snap It, Send It um, campaign, which we'll go on to with Andrew later. But um, the percentage of trees we've lost is less than 1%. So less than 1% of our elm population. But when you look at the tree cover for the island, 
for the whole of the Isle of Man, you're looking at less than 6% tree cover, and that's hardwood species. So all in all, we're, we're doing a, a reasonable job of keeping it under control because it, it could easily get far worse. Yeah, it could easily get far worse. If we didn't do the best of what we're doing now, basically we could end up with no elm in, in the future. It would just it may have the odd elm left in different parts of the island, but if you just let the uh, disease take control and then crack on with your disease trees just multiply, 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 you'd have roadside trees dying, there'd be all sorts of dead trees everywhere, and eventually you'd lose all your elm. So we turn to, to you, Andrew, uh, see it, snap it, send it. I thought it meant that uh, if you've seen a diseased tree, you snap the branch off and... <laughs> no, this is a we're, we're looking for people to use the their mobile technology, mobile phones and uh, iPads and tablets. Most people have these sorts of devices now on them when they're out and about in the countryside, and people do like to get out and about. You know, we've got mountain bikers, horse riders, walkers, and they're all out there in the countryside where our elm population is. It's really important that we find all of the diseased trees so they can be dealt with and in that way we can stop the disease spreading from one tree to the next. Elm trees, I mean, I'm, I know trees, and most of them are green, but I, I find it difficult to, I suppose, decipher which breed of tree is which. I mean, can people get help with that? Yeah, um, it is available um, on our leaflets. Uh, we've got a new leaflet and poster um, coming out this year. If you go to the government website, you can get a copy of that. But I can try and describe it to you, uh, but uh, it's probably easier looking at the picture. So in most cases... Can they be anywhere on the island? Elms, yeah. Yeah, they can be anywhere and distributed right from in the south to the north. Yeah. So we're looking for a leaf that is sort of, say, 10 centimetres long in most cases. They have got a short leaf stalk and they're quite distinct from other trees because they are unequal at the bottom. So one side of the leaf sticks down the leaf stalk more than the other. And they're quite rough to the touch and are coarsely toothed. The bark varies a little bit, but on mature elm trees it will be ridged and greyish to brown. Like I say, it's easier to see a picture than it is to describe it. Yeah, we'll give you details of that at the end. But in particular, um, you're asking, I suppose, for help for the public, because as you rightly said, a lot of people like to get out in the forest and around the countryside now, and this is something that they can do to help uh, as well as walk. And is it the disease that you're hoping they'll spot? Yeah, we're hoping that people will spot diseased trees, and, and you can do that by, by looking for unseasonal wilting and yellowing of leaves. So... This is in the summertime when you wouldn't expect to see yellow leaves. It can be quite distinct. You might see retention of dead leaves on the branches and branches that are completely bare of leaves. The symptoms tend to develop fairly rapidly. So if you go for a walk in one in an area and you see a healthy tree and then you go back a month later and you see a significant deterioration in the health of a tree, you know, there's obviously something serious going on there. So we would like people to spot these trees, get their mobile devices out, take a photo and send it in to us. Right, you're asking about grid references as well and things. I suppose a fair description of where you are as well would, would go a long way. Yeah, not everyone's going to be able to provide a grid reference. That That is going to be handy, but where you can't do that, a description of where it is would suffice. So, you know, it might be 
100 metres from a gate or a hedge line or some other feature that we can identify. And this um, will go a big way to, to for yourselves here at the board to combat the disease or control it, is, is that the idea? We've got limited resources to commit to um, employing seasonal workers to spot Dutch elm disease. So the more the public can help us out, yeah, the better. You're introducing new elm trees to the Isle of Man. Uh, I mean, are, are they going to be at risk? Yeah, we are. The other side to this story is, is the planting that we are doing this year. We are introducing 12 disease-resistant elms to the island. Disease-resistant ones, so these, these are, are a new sort of breed of the, of the original elm? Yeah, they are a new cultivar of elm tree developed in the USA from crossbreeding between two Asian species of elms. Uh, they were first introduced into the UK in 2004 in London and in that time they've observed them growing and observed some very high resistance to Dutch elm disease. I mean do we need elm trees on the Isle of Man or are they just that I suppose they're such a big part of the island that people don't realise? Yeah I think people take them for granted a little bit you know they're really important in our landscape and they're important for wildlife as well because they support um, a very specific set of insects, fungi and lichens. So yeah, they are important. What sort of areas or, or size or numbers of trees can you plant? Is it an ongoing one? I think at the moment we're only talking small numbers. We're only planting 12 this year, three on our, on our own estate and then nine in uh, other towns and villages. We're working with, like I say, nine different local authorities. We don't see this as a, as a wide-ranging a wide scheme. That these trees aren't going to replace our native ones. It's just the way that we can invest in, in elm trees in our towns and villages um, without the risk of them getting diseased or the risk of them spreading disease. So as an Isle of Man taxpayer and out walking, it would be a fantastic uh, idea for me to keep an eye on the trees and report any that have or disease, potentially disease, um, or even if you just suspect it, you know, let the board know. But in the long run, it would save you um, going to the expense to buying more in and planting them. Yeah, well, I think more importantly, I don't, as far as I'm aware, there's no studies that have, have looked at this, but if we think about the economic value of elm to our island, it's very difficult to put a price on the landscape value of elm trees and the the contribution they make to our biodiversity and its value but if you supposed to be like getting rid of the cushing <laughs> <laughs> you know some people say it's not a lot of use but it's just part of the isle of man yeah i mean you can put you, you it's very difficult to put a value on these parts of nature but if you could um you know it, the value would be very high and if you think about it that way that's that's probably the, the best way to to think about it logically. Andrew I. Gear there from the forestry side of DEFA telling me about the new elm trees that they've planted on the Isle of Man, the disease-free ones. And before that, the Dutch Elm Disease Coordinator for the Forestry Division of DEFA, Jimmy Lee. And if you want more information on that and uh, want to help out by that see it, snap it and send it slogans, all you need to do is mail DED, Ty Swellen in St John's, IM4 3AS, or you can text or WhatsApp to 07624 490713 to Jimmy, and they'll be delighted uh, that you be able to help out uh, to plot uh, where these trees are changing. And it was interesting seeing the, the different photographs, which uh, you'll be able to see uh, on our website as well, where they're showing the the healthy trees and the ones that are affected a bit. And uh, it's uh, quite noticeable, so uh, I suppose 
the public's help when they're at work and curious is a good thing to ask, isn't it? Well, that's it. And also it can help slow down the disease spread and, and they're able to monitor it a lot easier, aren't they, if they know where it is quickly? Yeah, because they've had awful trouble, as you know, with the larch on the Isle of Man. And of course, we don't have big forests compared to other places, but I suppose they take up quite a bit of the land mass on the island. And we just want to keep the, the trees and particularly the elm trees when you see them in full flow sort of thing because i don't know that much about trees but when you when i was looking at them and they were showing me some outside there um it was they were just nice with the broadleaf ones instead of the little narrow ones that are in the forest generally no it's really lovely to see and our countryside is very beautiful so it'd be a shame to spoil it if we don't get on top of these things <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. We're very lucky here in the Isle of Man that we get many prominent figures from the agricultural world to come and give discussions and workshops. Last week we had Alan Jago from the European Council of Young Farmers to talk about present issues in farming. I caught up with him after his very interesting speech at the Noah Bakehouse. We're dairy and arable farms, we're in a family farm partnership which has allowed me and my younger brother to come in in a partnership with my father. And yeah, it is a formal partnership. However, we see similar informal arrangements here in the Isle of Man. What our partnership does at home is actually just put some stability on it, gives us responsibility, and also allows people to actually you know, plan for the future, which is very important. Because you've set up land mobility for succession. You know, a lot of older farmers don't like talking about succession, but this has seemed to have worked with land mobility. Yeah, it really has, Kerry. It's a new product, a new idea. It's set up three years ago. We identified that there were a lot of older farmers in Ireland with no successors. We know anecdotally there has been a lot of young farmers wanting to come into farming but with no land. So literally we set up the service as a matchmaking service to pair older farmers with land with younger farmers with no land. In a range of combinations that could be partnerships, share farming, long-term leasing or contract rearing. A lot of options that can actually allow older farmers step back with dignity and allow younger farmers into the business while keeping the name of the farm in the family name. And you also see education as vital for these young farmers. Yeah, education is key because if young farmers aren't educated to the highest of standards, if they haven't got the skills that they need to run these farms, to manage these farms, whether that's to grow the grass or grow the crops or to calve the cows, then how are they actually going to go to the bank looking for business plans or with business plans to invest in those farms in the future? So education and skills is, is a big requirement. I would also say that continuous education skills are very important. We've identified that as a way of actually young farmers upskilling themselves in the, in the coming years. You know, when you go to college, when you go to university, you want to get out as fast as possible. Come on to the family farm as fast as possible. However, you know, in four, five, six, ten years when you finish college, you might say that, well, OK, I might need some skills in finance or people management skills or in grass measuring or grass budgeting, whatever the case may be. You don't know what you need until the time, but that these skills and education should be made available to those farmers at whatever stage you want. You know, if you're a solicitor, if you're a doctor, at every stage during the year, you have to upskill yourself. Why should that be the case of farmers? Like farming is not just any other occupation. We're food producers. We produce food for consumers three times a day, every day. And that's what we need to do. We should be very proud of what we do. And with you being president, you've travelled many countries in across Europe and you've seen some of these policies work really, really well, in two countries in particular. Yeah, I suppose over the last six years, having been involved in Asia, I've gone to every single EU member state. Sometimes it's only from the airport to the hotel and back again, but I've been in every single member state. 
but yeah, two countries in particular stand out for actually their support to young farmers, that being Austria and Finland. I think the policies that they have put in place are young farmer proofed, that being that every single policy put in place by the government, by the ministry, are actually put in place with young farmers in mind. And this is something that is really critical, that young farmers are at the heart and centre of everything that the government does, which is so important for the future. And do you think that would work here on our Isle of Man? I certainly do, because, you know, a country is a country, no matter how big or small you are. We see in Malta, for example, where the size is similar enough to um, here in Isle of Man, where they're doing similar things to help their, their farmers, where the ministry is actually working with young farmers on the ground and working with the senior farmers to try to actually help export and sell the country is Malta to the wider public. So why can't Isle of Man do what they're doing? You know, I, I said it tonight, you really have a fantastic asset here in Isle of Man. And sometimes, you know, you need to actually come and see these things yourself to believe them. And also I would say that as Isle of Man farmers, young farmers, you need to go outside of Isle of Man to see what we're doing um, or what you're doing here in Isle of Man. Because, trust me, no one is doing better than what you're doing it here. But do you think Brexit will affect us? I think Brexit will affect everyone. Coming from an Irish perspective, it will have a huge impact on us. Obviously, we have a land border. However, you know, we're selling over 40% of everything we produce into the United Kingdom. It's going to have a huge impact on everybody. There is going to be a reduced budget at EU level. But what kind of trade sanctions are going to happen between the United Kingdom and, and Europe? Nobody knows. We have a long way to go in negotiations when Article 50 is pressed. But, you know, who knows at this stage? But it is going to be worrying times for the future. And you said it earlier in your speech tonight, it'll be based more on environmental policies, possibly more towards the active farmer. Yeah, I think policies are moving away from supporting every farmer, regardless of age, to be more targeted, more measured in their approach. Environmental measures, positive environmental measures, can actually do something for the environment, are going to come in more and more. And actually supporting those who are actually farming the land, those active farmers, as we mentioned, you know, there are too many armchair farmers, too many soft farmers getting too much of the support. We need the support to go to the right people. We need to go to the young, those young farmers who are actually driving things forward, who are doing their level best to actually stay in business. And we all know of young farmers who are under so much financial pressure. And even the littlest of support can be a big help to these guys. So you need to support young farmers. You say that advice and knowledge transfer is absolutely vital too. Key. It's absolutely key. Because as young farmers, we're very much exposed. But we need the latest advice, we need the latest research to actually help what we do on our farms. Knowledge transfer, knowledge extension and education will actually deliver that for our farmers. There have been various studies done across the European Commission who have found that young farmers are more innovative, more productive, more efficient, more environmentally conscious, all due mainly to knowledge transfer and education. So the reports are there. They haven't made it out of thin air. So you know, the results are there. First and foremost, every single young farmer must have a business plan. If the business plan doesn't add up, they shouldn't be going down this line. I'm running a business, I'm a farmer. What's different to any other business person in the, in the country? They need to make money, they need to make profit. No matter how small a profit is, but you need to make a profit. And without a business plan, you can't know what profit you're actually making. And thirdly, I think young farmers should travel. Whether that's even travel within your own country, and you would be surprised how many young farmers have always worked at home on the family farm. On our farm at home in Ireland, we take students from our, our ag college. And it's an amazing amount of young farmers come in and say, well, Dad says this and Dad says that. And Dad can be great. Dad is fantastic. But you need to see how other things are done. Dad isn't always right. He's right some of the times, but maybe not all the time. And that's where young farmers have to get out there and see how the world works. 
see things done in a different way. As I said, that can just be travelling to other parts of the island, and working with different part, farmers other parts of the island, or it can be travelling around Europe. But you know, there are different measures and opportunities. There are different policies in place to help young people travel, financially supported, that can actually deliver change on farms. What points would you put across for our Isle of Man government after you've seen and you've been on this visit to try and help us as young farmers come into the industry? I said tonight, first of all, I think you've got a fantastic country. You've a fantastic sustainable image but you also have a fantastic product. We've seen four fantastic farmers today, going from you know a recent conversion to dairy, beef, upland sheep, and uh, cereals. When you see what you're doing as, as farmers, and all young farmers, you really are confident that the future can be bright. But the government need to put in place policies that will actually help you into the future. There's no point you're know, just being token piecemeal. Just, you know, we're, we're, we're there to support you, but putting nothing behind it. Put in place policies, put in place measures that will actually help drive change. Put in place policies that will actually increase efficiencies, that will lead to profitability. Put in place environmental measures that will actually do something for the environment. And that can do something for farmers profitability-wise. Because ultimately, if you look after farmers, they will look after you. And you also had the success in getting some of the EU budget for young farmers. That was one of our, our campaigns, the last CAP reform. And it was something we lobbied very, very, very hard for. It was actually an idea that came up in Mokra, my own organisation in Ireland. We brought it to Seja, my, my own organisation today, of having a young farmer top up. So literally, young farmer proofing. 2% of the overall budget went to support next generation. We got the Commission on board, the Parliament came on board, and Council Ministers came on board. When they all came on board, it's very, very hard to back down on these things. So it was 2%. But if I look back, that was 2011. That's six years ago. In six years, I think we would be where we are today, where the first thing out of every single politician's mouth at the European level is generation renewal. They need to do more. And, you know, things happen in baby steps, but happen very fast. And I think we have to capitalise on that today. We really need to focus more on generation renewal, put in place measures, put in place positive measures that would help young farmers and older farmers alike, because you can't help one without the other. And I think if you do that, there'll be a sustainable future for all of us. That was Alan Jago, the president of the European Council of Young Farmers, who was invited to the island by the young farmers and DEFA. Isn't it great that the young farmers, and in conjunction with DEFA this time, can get these prominent figures in in the agricultural world uh, time and time again isn't it and that difference of you know the different things and different opinions they've got the different things they're seeing across UK Europe Ireland everywhere like that it's very useful to to hear that said isn't it it certainly is Alan has traveled the whole of Europe and he's seen so many ideas and seen so many policies involved in the young farmers movement and how to include them and some of the topics that he touched on was the land mobility and succession which can be quite awkward topics to talk about in family farming and uh, he had really great methods of putting it across and hopefully it'll work. Yeah, gone are the days where the oldest son gets everything, isn't it? It's all changing now. This is it. He touched on partnerships and share farming, so there's lots of options out there now and it includes everybody. So, yeah, those old ways maybe are dying out a little bit now. Yeah, well, but it is great and, you know, and there was a packed house there and really put some good questions at the end of it by the sound of it too. Yeah, there was lots of good questions from young active farmers that are really, really keen to get a foot in the door and make a go of it. And, and it's good here for the Isle of Man agricultural industry to see that happening. So all being well, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Because it's not just 
positive things that are useful, isn't it? If they ask a few questions about something and the people say, they'll turn around and say, well, no, no, they tried that in Scotland, they tried that in Wales, something didn't really work. Not to say that it wouldn't work over here, but that, you know, the negative side of maybe what not to go down the road off, it can be useful as well, isn't it? If you're oh. thinking of investing, you know, money into it. Oh, definitely. Guidance and direction is absolutely essential. And seeing methods that have worked, he was very, very positive and um, and things that didn't work as well. But, you know, he kept it very positive on the night. And I think that's kind of what we need here on the island is positivity and, and going forward. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are. Dutch elm disease covered and new elm trees planted as well. And it's funny when you don't know much about trees, Kirin, you see um, pictures of the elm trees, you think, oh, yeah, that's how an elm tree looks like. Yeah, you know, it's Compared quite... to the normal sort of forest ones. And it's great that they've taken this initiative to, to get these um, disease-free ones that are protected from the... that can, you know... Um, be immune to the beetle uh, oh. stuff, yeah, as well that that spreads it, and also Jimmy Lee. They're talking about, you know, how how you can sort of walk around the countryside uh, if you see a tree that you know has got maybe changed the last time you walk because it can go develop fairly quickly, and you can just snap a picture. The modern technology you've got on your phones, send it into DEFA, and it really really helps them uh, to keep an eye on this. And we're lucky with the low percentage we've got, and of course, uh, great to see. Um, Alan there uh, over as well doing a talk to the island wasn't it yeah it's, it's really good to have these speakers come to the island and just their, their guidance alone is certainly a great help but some of his topics Brexit um, succession farming and land mobility they're new things to us so it is really important that we get the knowledge across mm, he should have Brexit before he came over should he <laughs> There we go. We'll leave it there for this week's Countryside. We'll be back next week with more. So for me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Gomez. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.